But I spent some time at the High Performance Center in Spain. I spent a year training over there with those guys, and that was the, the Spain was number two in the world back then. And they were uh, it, it's the, the the High Performance Center there in Barcelona was kind of the, the the world mecca of Taekwondo, and that was the place that everybody wanted to be at. What we used to do all the time, we'd play we'd play these different games. We'd play you know dodgeball, or we'd play you know uh, like bull rush kind of game, or we'd play football or something just as a warm up. Um, and so what you're driving is you're driving attention to, you know, to an unfamiliar or, you know, an unfamiliar game. You are driving this level of alertness because you, you know, you want to win. There's, you know, it was a, it was a fun little warm up game that we, that we play, but there was a really high level of alertness and you, and there's a consequence you're playing for points and everybody there is, is highly, is highly competitive. So there's a degree of urgency. So we played these warm up games for five minutes, 10 minutes. And then when the coach is then going to try and give us new technical drills, everybody's really switched on paying attention. Everybody's systems are in a, everybody's nervous system was in a state where forming new synaptic connections uh, was made more easy by the, by the warm-up drills that we've been doing. That was Scott Robinson, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology, from force plates to timing systems to muscle simulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the Freelap Timing System and K-Box, or coaches' favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid, which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of collecting of data collecting strips, the Contact Grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than uh, being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. What's up, everybody? Today, we are talking about the nervous system, adaptation to training, neurological blockages and limiters, and how to overcome them to reach our highest potential as athletes and human beings. To that end, I am stoked to have Scott Robinson on the show today. Scott is a neurologist and personal trainer with over 20 years of experience. He is an Applied Movement Neurology, or AMN, master practitioner. He's a former high-level Taekwondo athlete, as well as having track and field competitive experience. Scott has worked with the full gamut of neurological issues, disorders, things holding people back from reaching their highest potential as athletes and human beings. And so that's exactly what we're going to get into on the show today. 
Uh, quick background as well. I, I was acquainted with Scott actually through the wonderful world of social media. I uh, came across just a lot of his posts over the last year, and they've really been resonating with me as what in what I'm seeing in athletes and athletic performance and my own training. And so I'm really happy I reached out to him. We have an awesome show lined up for you on breaking through mental and neurological barriers and enhancing motor learning. And uh, so the first half of the show today, we're going to get into just that, neurological roadblocks in the nervous system, uh, things that are holding us back from a bioelectric standpoint, an emotional standpoint, and we're going to talk about concepts on clearing through those barriers. Uh, The second half of the show, we're going to get into a very critical aspect of training, which is that of um, attention and enhanced, enhanced learning. So how do we set athletes up to have better training systems where they are more ready for the, the session, where they're taking more away from it, where there's intention, and where we're just in that state where we're hitting that sweet spot of training. This was a really fantastic show, not only from a, a global uh, perspective or from a kind of a overarching themes of training, but also in a practical nuts and bolts, how do we make changes on a daily basis to our process perspective? Again, an awesome show, and I'm thrilled to bring it to you guys here, episode 188 with Scott Robinson. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Hey, pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's always nice to talk to someone on the other side of the pond or the, the Pacific Ocean, I guess you could say. Um, it's a big pond. Yes, it is. Yeah, the connection. I always keep my fingers crossed for the connection, but we're doing great. Uh, so could, mm. let's kick it off. I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, your background uh, as an athlete, trainer, and then how you got into neurology. Yeah, cool. All right. So my name is Scott Robinson. Uh, I am known as the, the brain guy on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so I started life as an athlete. So I was, uh, I was a cross country runner and a, and a track athlete running in middle distance. Uh, I used, I sort of just achieved national level, you know, state representation and whatnot here in Australia. And, you know, that was, that was a real dream for me. I always wanted to be a runner, but I worked out, um, I wasn't going to be a world beater. So I was, I was a highly competitive individual and I was pretty driven. So I was, you know, just by the time I realized I wasn't going to make it to the Olympics in athletics, I was looking for something else. So I fell into Taekwondo and I competed uh, internationally and represented Australia in, in Taekwondo for, for about seven years. And that was, that was a fantastic life while it lasted. Um, and then from there, I, funnily enough, I was doing, I, I got into construction of all things, which is a long way from where I am now. Um, and it, I did that for a few years, but I realized that that was really incompatible with the life of being an athlete. And, uh, and it just wasn't me. So I left construction in, in the interest of being a full-time athlete and traveling the world to compete. And then from there, I fell into personal training. And that really fit for me because I got to work with the body. I got to work with people. Um, and it was flexible. So I started learning a lot more about the physiology of the body. Uh, and once I, got, once I finished my athletic career, then I started to, I started to progress into rehabilitation training. Um, and so I started to learn more about physiotherapy, you know, physiotherapy's approach towards solving movement challenges. Um, and that was great for a while, but then kind of what dawned on me was it was really challenging to, to, to make long-term and effective change with those methods because what I was working with was just inputting a stimulus into the body at the periphery and then trying to overcome signals that were coming from the the central computer, so being the brain and the nervous system. So once I kind of had that realization, then it really, you know, really the next stop was the brain and the nervous system. So basically, if you're going to make changes 
on a deep and profound level if you're going to make really, really impactful changes, especially in terms of human performance. Um, if you're not going to pay attention to the governing systems of the body, which in the physical body are the brain and the nervous system, then you really can't expect to get the very most out of the body. Um, so that, and for me, applying my athletic levels of dedication and sort of my athlete's mindset to that work, uh, I was prepared to sort of overturn every stone and just keep looking into all the unknowns. And um, I found the Academy of Applied Movement Neurology in London and I started doing training with those guys. So I started training with them and that was about, that was six years ago. And I progressed right the way through that education. That was absolutely mind-blowing to see the difference that that was uh, making on the clients that I was seeing every day. And as soon as I started seeing those results, I was I was hooked. So I was, you know, studying every single day and reading and learning something new. Um, and the pace that you can learn at is is crazy fast. So exactly like we were just saying before about um, – takeaways and being able to being able to implement little tidbits that can actually impact you in your daily life um, it's difficult for neuroscience to bridge that gap we hear a lot of really really exciting information coming out of you know out of science labs and and you know from neuroscientists about what they're discovering but then but then taking that and using that in usable ways that you know you or i could sort of can put into our training regimes is often difficult and i found that this amn approach um was was fantastic because it was really hands-on uh, and it allowed it allowed me to sort of to connect the the neurology of the body with just performance in every day, and that's incredibly motivating because you see change on a, on a you know a, on a dramatic scale and, and at a, a rapid rate. Um, so that's been my last sort of six years or so. It's been a really steep, steep learning curve, uh, and yeah, I work with incredibly complex cases. I said I have people with all kinds of traumatic brain injuries. I've got one person who's had her half her brain removed. Um, and then I work right through just regular people and, and even athletes, you know, here and there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I love what I get to do. I get to mentor and I get to teach within that system. Um, I get to do a bit of work from home and I still work in the gym and do movement, which has a huge value for me in, in my life. Uh, that that's me in 500 words or less <laughs> fantastic i i love uh i love that you you cover those ends of your, your training and studying the neurology and, and putting that together and the the leaving no stone unturned that's uh that's something that i've been working on myself for shoot it's been about over 20 years now it's just it's, it never ends it never ends we're never we could no. learn for another hundred more hundred years and we wouldn't even be scratching the surface i feel like of this Come, machine we have i'm on the same page with you right there absolutely uh, so, so in, in the training world, I'm sure, and you, you mentioned it with the results you're getting, I'm sure you come across this all the time and then in the studies and education you've done, but, uh, and as coaches or trainers or even athletes, we see this all the time are elements that cause someone to not be able to, um, express their full strength or from the, from a nervous system brain perspective, what are some elements that cause us that hold us back that cause our nervous system from, uh, from holding back the strength that we're capable of producing? Yeah, look, well, look, the answer, much like the nervous system itself, is complex. So there are, there are a lot of different levels to it. And there are sort of there are levels that we're affected by um, from outside our body, so in the environment and whatnot. We'll, let's, we'll stick with the brain and the nervous system for the purposes of this talk. But so what I work with a lot of the time is, is bioelectricity. So bioelectricity uh, underpins everything in the nervous system. So within medical science, we tend to focus on, on, on electrochemical relationships and um, medical science tends to look at the body almost almost purely from a chemical kind of perspective. And I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of people who, who 
are in that space and the argument is always no no it's just chemical and that's it there's nothing else but bioelectricity sort of runs on a level below that uh and if once you look start to look at the the extracellular matrix of the body the extracellular matrix um is is basically what surrounds every single cell in our body and it's kind of like the body's wi-fi network so everything so rather than just communication going down along hardwired nerves you know, spinal nerves that you know project out from the spinal cord you have this Wi-Fi network within your body that keeps everything in in communication with everything else in real time. So it's 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 almost instant. It's pretty much instantaneous. So all the information and the information is pretty much holographic. And a hologram basically means that all of the information of the hologram is contained in every single part of the hologram. So you could take a tiny little piece of your toenail, and that tiny little piece of your toenail contains all of the all of the information that's in the entire organism. So bioelectricity is pretty much like that. So I work with that bioelectricity and anywhere in the body that there is uh, dysfunction or pain or weakness or anything that's just not quite right, what you will find is there will be an altered bioelectric charge. So if we just accept for the purpose of this discussion that there's, there's a normal bioelectric charge that we should have when we're just sort of walking around and everything is great, anytime we have dysfunction, pain, injury, sadness there'll be an there'll be uh, an, an altered bioelectric charge which if we can find and we can navigate that can sort of give us that can bring us to a lot of answers as to why we're experiencing that pain dysfunction or weakness so if you have if you have had if you've been sick if you had a virus or you've you know you've had a, a you know a bacterial infection or you've had any kind of immune process whether it's current or it's historic you might have had a viral infection at age three that's imprinted in your immune system and that and your nervous system knows about it so that information is stored that's stored in your system for life so if and it will project through the through the viscera it will project through organs and project through glands and those organs and glands are continuous with muscles in the somatic nervous system so if you happen to come across a chemical stimulus like a like a smell that for whatever reason happens to make that previous immune event immune response at age three uh, if that makes that relevant in some way, it doesn't mean you're going to get sick again straight away, but the muscles that are connected or that are correlated with that immune event, they will, they'll experience a reaction. There'll be a, there'll be a decrease in output and they may get tighter, they may just get weaker, but that's the same with your immune system. It's the same with your circadian biology, the same with your gastrointestinal tract. So all of these, these, neuro, these deep neurologic systems, they're continuous with the muscles in the somatic nervous system. So if there's anything that happens to be wrong in these deeper systems, you'll experience a correlated weakness somewhere or a correlated uh, increase in restriction or tightness um, somewhere in the, in, in the musculature, uh, which for me, when I first sort of started delving into that and finding that was absolutely as an athlete and made me just think like, what if, if I'd known this information back then, this this would have been a game changer. Because the thing for me as an athlete, and this may resonate with a lot of your with a lot of your listeners, what used to stress me on comp day was having put all that work in. And there were times I was training six days a week, three times a day, and you put all that work, all that training, all that emotional effort into a performance. And I just remember the feeling of I, I never ever felt like I had a guarantee that I could turn up and it'd be a good day. You know, I, I learned over time what correlated with good performances and what behaviours and what routines I needed to implement to increase my chances of a, of a good performance, but I never, ever knew how to guarantee a good performance out of my body. So 
understanding these systems and understanding that you can go through and you can scan and you can check them or you can pay attention to them um, and and that will eliminate a lot of it'll clear weakness or dysfunction at the level of the musculature that's that's absolutely huge um, so yeah so bioelectricity and the way that that interacts with all the deeper deeper neurological systems is absolutely huge um, the next one for me that is hugely impactful is nociception so nociception is I describe it to people I work with as a noxious stimulus. So most people know what proprioception is. So proprioception is kind of healthy feedback. It's good. It's, it's, it's healthy sensory feedback that goes back to the brain, tells the brain where joints and, and, and different body parts are in space in real time. Okay. And so that the brain likes that information. It's really healthy. Let's say for the for argument's sake, you've had uh, a knee reconstruction, you've torn your ACL, you've had a knee reconstruction, or you've dislocated your shoulder. At that injury site, you will now experience a nociceptive stimulus and that nociceptive information travels back to the brain and just tells the brain that that is an injured body part. It's an injured area. And if that information is strong enough or if it's there for long enough, then it imprints on the brain and the brain changes the picture that it holds in the brain maps of that particular body part. And so once the brain in the sensory cortex and the motor cortex is seeing these body parts as injured, then it'll always treat them that way. It'll drive compensation there and it'll always, it'll always treat them that way. So that's something for me that I, I see. That's probably one of the biggest things I see in terms of change when I get a hold of an athlete or a regular person and we, we, it's, we clear the brain map. Essentially what we can do is we um, change the picture that the brain is holding of that body part. So the brain just sees it as, as new tissue once again and then it can treat it like, you know, treat, treat it like clear, perfect musculature and it just functions really well again so restriction disappears and strength returns um but that's a that's a huge one nociception is massive because every every athlete's walking walking around with it um but i think the it's it's not all it's not all bad if you are an athlete and this is what kind of goes to what we're talking about with movement variability before um you've got this incredible ability to compensate and 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 create new pathways and new new functions so um you can kind of compensate around it um for a while so athletes are much better at compensating around nociception than um regular people but it impacts on the body um in significant ways um threat circuitry is another one threat circuitry is something that's in the in the brain stem so anything that has caused your nervous system to register that it's under you know survival's under threat or it's safety or there's there's possibly going to be a painful stimulus on the other side of um what it uh, of whatever object or experience it perceives that it, once threat circuitry is activated, you'll you'll kind of experience a, a restrictive feeling or a, like a, a holding back kind of feeling. You'll find you sort of hold back from committing to full output of the musculature. Uh, you might not jump as far or as high uh, if if your nervous system perceives that there's a threat of using the muscles to that degree of force or, or jumping across a certain distance or you know or, or over a certain object. If there happens for whatever reason happens to be a threat there, active that's going to drive down strength um, in the body um, in, in significant ways. And then you're yeah, just getting back to, I guess, kind of it's at a different level, but the somatic nervous system is continuous with all of the organs and glands. So the somatic nervous system is, is uh, basically voluntary movement. So all the muscles that we are voluntarily in control of, they're, they're all continuous with every gland in the body, every, every organ in the body, and it's continuous with the brainstem. Um, as well, which is the most primitive part of the body, and that's what holds all the reflexes um, 
the all the all the all the reflexes that fire um, in the body. So everything's connected to everything. I guess is the is the short answer. Uh, so there are a huge amount of things that that in, that can impact us. And the more that we can pay attention to optimizing the nervous system, then the greater the output's going to be at the level of the musculature. Yeah, that was that was a really cool and thorough answer. And there's some uh, a few follow ups to that. I, I, some of the the different things really got me thinking. The first one you're talking about the bioelectric nature of the body, and I really I think it's it's such a powerful picture to think about the body as electric, or like Nikola Tesla said, thinking of things in energy waves and vibration. Or it's like this, it's uh, it, it just brings a kind of a different nuance. And I, I think about some of my experiences with like direct current muscle stimulation and and the the crazy sensations you get from doing that stuff. But what um what what are some examples of how you might look at a client with from a, a bioelectric perspective? Like what how would you assess uh, and and integrate um you know movements based off of bioelectricity? Okay, so something that I do is I'll do orthopedic manual muscle testing. Okay, which you know that's not new. That's something that you know physiotherapists and manual therapists have been doing for you know since the day dot. Um, so we'll test, just test strength, test the output of the nervous system, and when you uh, when you get weakness, then I'll check and see is there an altered bioelectric charge at that at that point. So you can, if you would like to know if there's an altered bioelectric charge or is there is is there that alterance of, of bioelectric charge pointing you in the direction of, a, of dysfunction or weakness, something you can do, and this is really, really simple, you could do a range of movement tests, you could do a strength test. So um, if you've never done sort of strength work or strength testing, I should say, so orthopedic manual muscle testing before, then I think the range of movement one is the easiest one for people to go with. You could just go with a simple roll down, as in just slowly just roll down and just see where your hands or your fingers come to rest, either down on your shins or down on your feet or down on the floor. Um, and just do that and try and make it consistent. So you can soften the knees, breathe in, breathe out, close your eyes so you're not reaching towards a target and just see where your fingers come to rest at the ground. Okay, that's a simple one that just about everybody can do. You could then, if you think that you're experiencing a weakness in a bicep, say, you could rub that bicep with your with the opposite hand and what that's going to do is it's going to, if there is an altered bioelectric charge there, that will that will perturb that charge and it kind of the way I describe it to people that I work with is it kind of highlights it to the nervous system where it draws it draws the brain's attention to that bicep because you've just focused your intention on that bicep. Now if there's an ultrabioelectric charge there and the brain is now focused on it then the degree of weakness or the degree of dysfunction there is is kind of what the brain's focusing on and that is going to bring about a response in the whole body. So we'd call it a global response feedback. So you would just do a regular range of movement test, call it for hamstrings, call it for posterior chain. You're just going to roll down, reach down, let your fingers just come to rest at your toes or on the floor or at whatever level they get to. Then you can start swiping or contacting different areas of the body and just make your test as consistent, as repeatable as you can. And you see which areas actually bring about an increase in range of movement. Now, if that bicep, if there's dysfunction at the level of the bicep, that is going to bring about a momentary relaxation in the musculature and you'll, you'll roll down a little bit further, okay? So it's just telling you that there's something going on at that bicep, okay? And then you could, from there, you kind of need to go and um, source out someone who knows about what they're doing to, to navigate through the nervous system and tell you why. Um, but there'd be a relaxation which would increase the range of movement in the tissues, but it's also going to correlate with a, with a weakness. So if you were to do it with, 
uh, a range of movement testing uh, with a with a orthopedic manual muscle testing, um, the nervous system would momentarily go weak while you con- while you contact that bicep. So, and that's and again, that's giving you that same feedback that there's just something that's not quite right there. Does that does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely, and it makes sense with a few different experiences I've had and, or systems of learning that I've I've gone through. One, one of which is called neurokinetic therapy. And that, mm-hmm. that model, which involves muscle testing, it basically, if you have a muscle that tests weak, let's say I'm testing my psoas or something like that, and, and it tests weak, I could uh, press on or just touch or have the client touch a related muscle, maybe the iliacus or quadricep. And if there was a problem in that muscle and you just touch it, all of a sudden the, the, the leg can hold strong. Like, but it, it can't, it can't mm-hmm. be anywhere. It has to be kind of the, affected area and and it was interesting because i'm always was trying to figure out well why i've asked a lot of people that question why (laughs) why is it that you could just touch that area and all of a sudden there's it's almost like you connect the circuit like it's almost like there's a circuit and part of it was falling out and you 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 put the circuit back on the track and now it can run through again and it was explained to me as if there was like so uh, yeah what you said kind of makes sense in that context yeah, so think of it this way. There's, and look, it can be a lot more complex than this, but one really simple way to explain it is think of it in terms of direct charge or direct current. So we have alternating currents. You think AC and DC. We've got alternating current, AC, and direct current, DC. So DC basically means voltage. So And voltage, as far as the body's concerned, you can look at voltage as a capacity to do work. So if, uh, if a muscle has a low direct current, then adding voltage to that muscle is all of a sudden going to increase capacity. Okay, it's going to increase the capacity to do work. Now, you can set that up just by setting up what we call a streaming potential. And a streaming potential is going to be when you just make contact to that tissue with, with, with fingers or hand or another body part. And there's ways to opt to it to increase that. So if you want to play with it, if you've got a weak muscle and you want to see if it's direct current, something that you can do, and this is really simple and it's kind of fun, is you can take your fingers... On most people, it'll be stronger through the right hand than the left, um, but play with it and check. But you can take your fingers and you can just contact that muscle. And again, you can see if that return, if it's weak, you can see if that returns some strength to it. The stream pot- streaming potential will be greatest with the fingers at an angle of 45 degrees to the tissue, but it depends on which 45 degrees that you go on. So you kind of have to test whether it's, you could look at it in terms of north, south, east and west, which angle that 45 degrees is going on relative to the tissue. So it's a cool thing if you're a coach when you've got an athlete that's coming to you and they're, and, and they're, com- they're exhibiting weakness or, or they're complaining of a weakness in a particular muscle. It's just something that you can play with and check. You can see if you can do an orthopedic manual muscle test, you can just play around a little bit with direct current and see if you can add direct current. You may well be able to fix it on the spot. That's something that I do quite a bit. It may just, if you find the right angle that makes that muscle go strong, you're just going to need to hold it there for a period of time. You know, and there's there's ways to work out how long, but essentially you can do it by trial and error. You can hold it there for a minute, then test again, see if it's strong. Um, that's a really cool little tip that you can play with if you've got if you've got athletes and you've got no experience of this stuff. That's something simple that you can just do and you can throw straight into play. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. That's great. It, it makes me think too, and this was another uh, kind of follow up or something that. I was thinking about as you were describing the bioelectric bioelectric nature was uh, was like foam rolling and and lacrosse balls and even like mm. basic like cross frictional massage type techniques like stuff that's all mm. and I think it's funny because like ten years ago 
people would say, oh, use a foam roller to iron out the knots in your muscles as if it was magically <laughs> doing that. And then yep. it'd be, oh, it's or it's impacting the fascia. And which I there was a podcast I did with Quinn Hennick uh, uh, a while ago, a physical therapist who had said just how tough our fascia is. And it's as yeah. if as if the foam roller is really going to iron it out or even the crossball. <laughs> yeah. But yet... And, and that stuff actually really turned me off to using those tools, even though, honestly, I had always felt better after using them. But I was like, oh, well, these are mm. dumb now. But then I've I've really come back to them recently just by noticing. I was like, look, like, I don't know. I think it's just something to do with the nervous system and attention. I'll just call a spade a spade and say there's nothing on the soft tissue level. It's just a sensory drill. And I've been bringing them back, like tennis balls on the feet in the weight room and stuff. And I like it. Mm. And it makes mm. all that stuff makes sense from a bioelectric perspective i guess it's like it works but it doesn't work the way you think it works that kind of thing yeah yeah look i think there's i think that the foam rollers and the lacrosse balls and that sort of stuff have their place and look don't get me wrong i'm i'm someone who probably you know several years ago i, I had a whole shopping bag full of you know that I used to carry mm-hmm. around of all these different you know self-release tools um but yeah so the thing is so the connected tissues and particularly fascia it's fascia is electrical so you know when we talk about you know, electrochemical. So when you're talking electrochemical, you're talking neurotransmitters and all those hardwired signals that are coming down through the, through the spinal cord. Um, fascia is electrical. It's an amazing tissue because it holds all that stuff we were talking about before, the information that's in the immune system, in your circadian biology, that's, you know, in your, your emotional, your limbic brain, all of that stuff, all of that is, is stored in fascia. Now, communication in fascia happens something like, it's, it's something like three or four times faster than, um, than the communication that comes down through the through the musculature again because wow. it's not having to deal with chemicals because they're really slow. Yeah, is that? Oh, that's, you, that's awesome. I was just, I'm just, I'm just like, oh, it's really cool. I, I had never, I hadn't heard that before. I'm just uh, okay. Right. Sorry, yeah. I thought there's a problem with the audio. No, we're good. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, information. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, fa- so the communication of fascia is a lot faster. It's just electrical. Um, so for me, when you've got an electrical tissue, and if you think that just kind of bashing it into you know, bashing it as hard as you can with a foam roller, like you're saying, like just iron the knots out. Um, yeah, that's that's really it's not it's 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 not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Certainly, the way you think it is. Like, yes, there is some sensory feedback and and an increase in range of movement because you've drawn attention to it. Um, if you basically if you roll really fast, then you're going to activate you're going to activate some uh, certain mechanoreceptors within the um, within the tissue, and essentially you, you can just tighten it up. If you roll really slowly, so rolling slowly, and particularly if you roll towards the the, the muscular tendinous junction of the of, of the muscle, so if you kind of roll towards the tendons rather than over the the muscle spindles themselves, um, what you'll find is you can sort of you can, with movement you can kind of you can normalize the the signal coming from the GTOs, the Golgi tendon organs, and they're the, they're the little they're the, the proprioceptors that, that basically send the information back to the brain and tell the brain what level of tension needs to be maintained in the muscle whilst it's under load. Okay. And then that basically can allow the muscle to kind of can fire at an appropriate level and not overfire and just mm. be tight. Um, so, yeah, so that sensory feedback is, is important and definitely makes a difference. You will get a short term change by rolling on it. I think that's just the thing to be that, that's really important, the thing to be aware of. If you're aware that you're making a short term change, so that you can go and train, great. You know, it, it helps you train and you can move and you can do well. But if there's a level of dysfunction or if it just keeps getting tight, that's happening for a reason, 
And if you're an athlete and you don't want your tissues to break down, well, then you need to go and investigate that. You need to go and get that, you know, get, get treatment on that so you resolve the issue rather than just keep training around it. Yeah, I, I like that. And I, it, I think about people who it's a difference between and that's how I've been using those tools recently. It's it's putting it in between sets like you're going to do a set of jumps or a round of French contrast explosive training and, and between that do uh, do some work on your feet with a lacrosse ball or something like that and, and treat it for what it is rather than just after the session just expecting like to roll it and have this like miraculous recovery you know it's it's a it's a short and it makes sense too and if I was rolling my feet that there's you had said rolling the fascia that's really interesting and there's more connective the feet are more connective tissue really there's not a ton of muscle in there relatively speaking mm. so that makes sense with the effect there versus it, it, it is it's just so fascinating to me how that all uh, comes together in that something that's really cool to do if you if you're a coach and you've got a group of athletes or even if you're just an individual you can do this or if you're training with a partner Take your foam roller and let's say, check your range of movement. Let's say you're going to go with dorsiflexion. So you, so people roll out their calves a lot of the time. So that's something that's easy to check, easy to check range of movement for. You can just do dorsiflexion with your knee going uh, toe against a wall, see if your knee can, can flex and, and hit the wall. The ankle, ankle can dorsiflex so your knee tracks forward, touches the wall. Then you slowly progress your toe further and further away from the wall and see how far away you can get it uh, with your knee still touching and your heel flat down on the floor. So that's a simple way to... to check your dorsiflexion, check that on both legs, just get a baseline marker. Then you can go and just do foam rolling on one leg. So foam roll one, gastrocnemius, one soleus out. So just foam roll one calf muscle out and then get your partner to massage the, the other one and see what sort of a difference you get. So the difference that you'll get typically will be there'll be an increase in, there'll be an increase in range of movement in the side that's had the massage because that especially if your partner is is relaxed and and at a, a lower sympathetic level of tone in the nervous system which typically if you were to go and get a massage from a massage therapist they're generally fairly relaxed kind of people and and they're taking they're dropping your autonomic nervous system tone down um that helps but also you get you'll be getting a donation of electrons into the tissue so and electrons basically are so again talking bioelectricity we always talk in terms of negative and positive um as human beings our tissues need to be negative. They need they need to be uh, need to hold a net negative charge to be healthy. So when you tear something or you injure something, you kind of lose electrons. It's like you leak electrons out of the tissue, and you'll have an increased percentage of protons there, and you'll the, the, the tissue experiences dysfunction. You can gain electrons from donation from another person. So if someone is massaging and touching that tissue, um, especially if they're they're experiencing emotions and feelings of empathy. Um, you know, I feel this calf and it's very tight and it feels sore, you poor thing. Um, there'll be a donation of electrons there and you'll get a direct benefit. Okay, so that's very different what you'll get there as compared to the foam roller. So if you want to sort of see, try and quantify the benefit you're getting out of a foam roller versus uh, an actual manual therapy, um, that's a really cool way to do it. Um, another one to do is just to do that um, on different areas of your body, but just measure the, the range of movement before and after. Um, you will a lot of times you'll actually see the range of movement increase. You'll see the range of movement increase after you get on the foam roller. And that's something that probably sh that shocks a lot of people that I've shown that to because most people tend to think that, you know, you just kind of see a foam roller go and lie down on it and you magically feel better. Things will magically loosen up for you. And, and it's just, it's not always the case. You can actually activate the muscle spindles and tighten the muscles up by rolling on them. 
So it's important to do it slowly. It's important to do it more towards the muscular tenderness junctions. Um, but if you can get someone else's hands on there and, you know, and increase the change the electrical makeup, so increase the negativity, the, the electron content, the, 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 the volume of electrons in, at that area, um, you'll, you'll change the output and you'll change the way the muscle moves. Yeah, it's really that's something I've thought of as a coach before too. I, I'm really glad you mentioned is like what's what's my emotional state right now, and mm. how is this impacting the environment? I mean, not even I've thought about not even as like uh, doing therapy, but even just coaching in general. But it's it's really interesting to hear. I'd never heard of like the idea of electron transfer in therapy, but it definitely makes sense. And and with the emotions of the the person doing that, and and just continually being aware of, of more more than just the technique but the the total environment i think is really important mm. yeah absolutely yeah so yeah there's just it's there's just always more there's just there's a lot there's always a lot to consider uh and look that one for me was always a bit was a really big eye opener the you know watching i remember doing that on a course once and it was everybody were exercise physiologists osteopaths chiropractors people who should know people who should really know what they were doing um, and, and the figure that the guy who was running the course threw out was that about 70% of the time, you know, or 70% of the people that you throw on a foam roller, they'll get tighter. Uh, hmm. And that was about what happened in the group. So I, I was one of the 30%, but I was, I was doing the very – and I, I got a marginal change in the, 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 the musculature that we, that we worked on, but I was being very specific about just rolling out steel tendinous junctions, going nice hmm. and slowly rather than trying to activate the spindles. So you can use foam rolling and lacrosse balls for activation you can also use it for relaxation. So I think if, you, if you're a coach and you're going to throw your, you're going to throw your athletes onto foam rollers, it's probably just important to understand what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Are you trying to achieve activation or are you trying to achieve you know, inhibition or relaxation um, so that that, actually, that that athlete can move the joint and actually perform? Um, and, and if so, then you need to adhere to, you need to sort of stick to the protocols that go with each. Yeah, I, that's. I think that is fantastic and very valuable information. I, I'd never even heard, like, like the speed of which and making a difference of where it's. It's that's really great. Uh, and so you had mentioned a little bit about emotion, uh, or basically uh, what's mm. as an empathetic empathy and the therapist. And I wanted to get into emotional state in training the athlete or, or, or just training in general. Uh, what are the role of emotions in training and how do emotions determine your adaptation to exercise? Yeah, good question. Good question. I would say that, so emotions, um, they don't 100% determine your, at your, your adaptation to, to exercise um, or, or adaptation to movement but they're a key determinant so your limbic system the limbic brain uh which is your emotional brain it's kind of where we store all of our emotional experiences and traumas and everything um that is one of that is one of the most uh influential and connected systems in the body and it remembers everything so if you've had trauma in your life uh, and i'll talk about this a lot with people saying if you want to be strong and you want to be a beast you need to heal your trauma first because it, because the nervous system remembers. Um, so, and, and this is something that I see in people all the time of constantly clearing limbic conflicts out of the, out of, out of the body. Um, and, and touching on, on athletic populations and every coach and every athlete kind of either will have known this, seen this, experienced it or, or fear it. And it's the career ending injury. So the career ending injury. So, I said, this is something that every you know coach, athlete uh, will have either ex- ex- 
if they haven't experienced it, it's something that you'll know someone who's experienced it. You certainly will have heard about it. And most athletes, it's something that you either fear or you just try and put out of your mind. So the career-ending injury, let's say it's an Achilles rupture. So that an injury like that, it takes away, I mean, if it takes away your career, that's, that's a huge thing. As far as the nervous system is concerned, that is a massive, massive event because that's your sense of self. That's your sense of identity. So if you're losing, you're kind of losing a huge part of yourself, you're losing kind of who you are, that's going to impact on your nervous system in, in profound ways. And you'll find that um, you can have, you know, you can basically get reverberations down through the years. And I've, I've seen this, this a lot. So any injury that you have that's impacted on you in a, an emotional way, if you had to miss a big meet because you got because you got injured, uh, or if you know if it you know if, if it ends your your career or something along those lines, um, you'll experience you'll experience feedback um, for for many many years to come. Now that feedback can just come in terms of muscle weakness. It could come in terms of dysfunction. Um, it, it could come in 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 other ways. I've seen people experience other symptoms where um, you know it's almost like a traumatic brain injury kind of symptoms, um, which which I find fascinating that, you know, you can have a sports injury and then, you know, to a, to an area of the periphery, but because you're, you experience it as an emotional trauma, uh, it can impact on you on, in a similar or comparable way to a, to the way that a traumatic brain injury could do. Um, and I find, I find that absolutely fascinating. Uh, and it's a great thing to be able to clear in people because obviously then function returns. So getting back to the question of how, uh, how emotions um, drive adaptation um, or, or determine adaptation in the body. If you, because the limbic system is so connected, if you, um, and any time there's an emotional trauma, that will project. It'll it'll work its way out from the, that deep neurologic system of the, the limbic brain. It'll slowly kind of correlate its way through different neurologic systems. It'll work its way out into the somatic nervous system, and which is our, our voluntary control over muscles. Um, and and you'll experience weakness, or you know, or, or restricted range of movement or you might experience pain in certain positions or just in certain moments um, and you won't know about it you won't know where that dysfunction or that weakness is coming from you'll just be aware of a biomechanic fault and so for me this was the big thing in terms of you know that that light bulb moment for me of realizing that back in the day I was working with tissues sort of from a manual therapy kind of perspective and a physiotherapy kind of perspective where I was just looking at the tissues and looking at the movement um, and I could get short-term change, but uh, a lot of times that dysfunction would return. Maybe it would be slightly different after I'd worked on it, but the function, the, the dysfunction would very often return. And that was just because I wasn't able to get to whatever was deepest. I wasn't able to get to what was uh, mediating the problem or maintaining the problem. So, and that the limbic system is huge because because it's so connected. As I said, it'll just permeate its way through the nervous system, through the different layers, and eventually it'll work its way out and. and as a sports person, you'll kind of you'll know about it as a biomechanic fault, um, and most times people will just view it purely as a biomechanic fault. Um, but when you've got something that just keeps recurring, or and especially when you see it, athletes who um, just get injured more often than others, and and, and everybody knows one, mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. knows there's a, an athlete who's just on the injured list more often than they should be, and it's kind of inexplicable. And it doesn't mean that they're you know their physios or their manual therapists are doing a bad job. It just means that what's maintaining the problem is um is at a level deeper than they're either considering or able to consider so depending on how that emotional trauma works its way out through the nervous system that largely determines our adaptation to to exercise and and to movement because you can sort of think of it 
that the body's always going to go with what's easiest. And if the nervous system has, if, if it knows that there are muscles that are, are slightly weak, well, it's, it's going to work its way around them. Or it's going to look to try and use those muscles less. Does that, does that kind of answer the question? Does that make, make sense? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I actually had a, a follow-up that I think, I, I, I mean, it's interesting. Like, the, like you said, the athlete who's always, who's always injured. And as coaches or trainers, there's, I mean, there's, I mean, I guess you could call us unofficial therapists on some level, but there's certainly a line between coaching and and therapy. But how, how do you go about, I mean, what are ways to look at um, that, that athlete who is always injured and there's probably something emotional holding them back? Is there any sort of um, like protocol or or anything that's a good, uh, good practice in in dissecting that at all? Yeah, look, so there's if have you heard of EFT so emotional freedom technique uh, yeah I have I have heard of it I haven't actually gotten to the fi- the too fine details of it though okay look emotional freedom technique is a good thing so I'll go on record saying I think emotional freedom technique is a good thing for me emotional freedom technique is is very non-specific uh, so I don't <laughs> it's not something that I really that I use a lot of but as a but just as a, a general recommendation for if someone sort of wants to look a little bit you know in, in look you know a little deeply or just a little more deeply uh, into ways that they can get around it if, if they think they're experiencing limbic trauma and that's um, and, and that's sort of playing out on the sporting field or it's playing out in athletic performance. Um, my recommendation would be to go to someone like myself or someone, you know, an AMM practitioner or someone in, in kinesiology or someone who knows how to work with the body and, and make the links through to um, the emotional brain and then clear that so you're not experiencing dysfunction at the level of the muscles. But essentially emotional freedom technique is tapping uh, which releases an alternating current. So that releases, uh, and it's that alternating current, that electricity that it releases is, uh, is parasympathetic in nature. So it's, uh, it's very calming. It's sort of, you know, it's, it's very rest and restore, rest and repair, rest and digest kind of energy. Hmm. So, and by tapping on certain sites uh, and potentially by um, reciting, you know, sort of relaxing um, and reassuring mantras, um, it's like a circuit breaker. So essentially, if you're experiencing a tra- an emotional trauma and that is, that is inhibiting or it's hindering athletic performance, there's, there's simple little protocols and, and they'll be different for each person, but you can tap on different sites like your cheekbones or on your shoulders, on your sternum, um, and you can think happy thoughts. Uh, and it's like a, it's, it's basically, it's like a circuit breaker. So it, it can allow your, your nervous system to then communicate more, more optimally in that particular moment. So I, I think, as I said, for me, I think EFT is is a good thing, definitely. Um, but the limbic system is very complex, so it's 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 not one of those things that you can kind of just think positive thoughts and it'll all just go away. Um, as I said, the brain the, the brain just um, the, the brain remembers everything. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of so the way the way that I work with it is either there's two levels you go at it. You um, and I tend to like to do both. I will sort of scan and go into the into the limbic brain. Uh, find the co- find the conflict, find the emotional trauma, uh, and then find all the correlations. Find where it's projecting out to the mus- to the muscles, and then by introducing uh, either an alternating current, a, a direct current, uh, or an intentional stimulus, um, that will just normalise. It's like rebooting a computer; it'll return that circuitry back to normal, like factory settings. Uh, so I'll do that, and then there's other methods of kind of going into the subconscious mind. Um, so the subconscious mind. You can then just input into the subconscious mind and the subconscious thinking um, how you'd like it to be. So, you know, you'd like rather than having those, that negative thought or those traumas, um, your subconscious just goes to 
you know, feeling at ease or at peace or at calm or whatever it is that you'd like to, to, to introduce. And then the mus again, the musculature will respond accordingly. Um, which I find that stuff mind blowing. That's something that I've sort of only started delving into more recently, and I find it I find it absolutely mind blowing that you can do that. Um, but yeah, the, the limbic system is incredibly complex and incredibly well connected. Um, and basically, we can sort of, as you say, as a, as a key determinant of adaptation. I guess we can look at it and say that um, any unresolved trauma is just going to drive dysfunction. Dysfunction is going to drive compensation. Compensations are going to accelerate tissue breakdown. Uh, and then once tissue starts to break down, either then you either get injured or you find a new way to compensate or, or both. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess the, the body is amazing. The body is designed to, to perform at such a high level and perform for such a long time. And it's always stuck with me, uh, the words. I've got a really good mate who's a, a top-level sports, um, sports physiologist. And I remember him telling me years ago that um, – in his opinion, we're, we're designed to be able to run forever. He said, he, he said, you know, you can, there's been plenty of studies done where you can take a bone and you can impact a bone. Um, and if everything is, you know, if you impact it with an appropriate load, if you impact, impact it along its, uh, its um, preferred or, or its, its optimal axis um, and, and, and you give it the force along the lines with which it's designed to carry those force, that force, you can, you can basically impact a bone infinitesimally. So you could, if it was running and it was a, a bone in your foot, you could run on that bone as long as you weren't overweight, as long as everything was lined up correctly and as long as you were running with you know, reasonable kind of technique, you should be able to run forever. You should be able to run and that bone shouldn't fatigue. But he said if you overload it if you, and then if you impact that bone incorrectly and you basically do it you know, in really bad ways, um, you, can bring, you can impact that bone to the point of failure um, which you could you can say fracture with that um, in less than two thousand impacts. Wow. So basically, you've got something that's designed to last forever, but you could bring about a stress fracture in that bone uh, in less than a couple in less than a couple of kilometres, or you know, in, in less than in, in less than a mile and a half. Um, you know, in, in, in your language, or less uh, less than a mile and a quarter in your in your language. Um, and I, again, I find that mind blowing. But the, the, if, if everything's lined up well, and there's and you know. You don't have these emotional traumas that bring tissues closer to their threshold of injury. Uh, and, and if you impact everything the way it's supposed to, um, the body can do amazing things and for a long period of time. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, it, may, it brings me that. My wife bought me a book. I think it was called, I think it was called Iron Heart. Uh, it was like a guy who had just had... I think heart surgery and decided to run a triathlon like on a whim or something like that. And but I mean, he was purely, you know, his drive was off the charts. His body was not necessarily super ready, but at least he didn't have anything holding him back. Um, and he did it and he didn't have anything holding him back on the level of his mind. Um, uh, it does make me think about like, I mean, bottom line, I love all this stuff. I think it's purely fast. It's totally fascinating. And I think that I've heard good things about EFT. I've never done it, but I, I know people mm. who have, and I've, I've heard really good feedback from what they're doing as well as tapping. Mm. And yep. I, I like that you put the science into that. Cause I think that it's like, everything's weird, right? Until we actually show yep. some science behind it. Like it's 100%, 100%. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, and people call it, you know, look at it and say it's woo woo or it's this or it's that. And then until, until science comes in and says, Oh no, hang on, we can explain that. Then people go, Oh no, well, of course that's, that's the way it works. Um, and, and that's, for me, that's the thing. It's just, I think we just think we need to be open. We need to, there's there's plenty of things. There's a lot of things we're just not going to understand. 
Um, but just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that we need to discount it. And yes, for me, having been a former athlete, I think, as I was saying before, if I, you know, as long as it was legal, if, if you'd told, I don't care how weird it was, if you'd told me there was something that would give me an increase in my level of performance and, and as such increase my chances of winning a medal, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm open to looking at it, you know, and, and that's the thing. And, hey, science can explain it for me later. But, you know, if it, if it gives me performance benefit and I'm not going to get disqualified, great, let's look at it. Yeah, it makes me think a little bit about one of the, one of the, the best moments there was a sprint coach here in the United States, Chris Corfus, me- mentioned an anecdote where uh, Douglas Heal, who is the founder of Be Activated, uh, had a suggestion for people to yell at the top of their lungs before whatever they do. Um, maybe it was a vertical jump in this example. Mm. And if they yelled, I am the greatest before they jumped, then they, well, many of them had set a lifetime PR or personal best. Mm. And mm. I, I immediately took that back and started doing it. Well, I did it myself. And I found that I, I on the on the spot within the course of 10 seconds, I improved my jump from like 29-1 yep. to 32-8. Uh, it was crazy (laughs) it was like someone put a rocket in me it's like this it was it was a different feeling it was i was a different person for a second and then i would try it on my Mm. teams and i found in one team particularly like some people it helped and some people it didn't but you could tell the people that didn't didn't really believe it like they didn't really when they said it it was kind of like uh there was a a subconscious disconnect going on Uh, brilliant that's exactly that's exactly correct i think so what you'll find is if the if you make a statement that is congruous with the with the with the subconscious mind you'll you'll experience an increase in strength so if you're if if you've you know done meditation or if you're just one of those lucky individuals who's just born just believing in themselves 100 percent um you know and look i'm i'm fortunate i come from a country where you know i think you know as an athlete we just tend to back ourselves it's just you know I, i was always born and coached the idea of you know you're not going to die wondering you've got to have a go and um you know so just get it get out there and give it your best shot so you know believe and be- self-belief is huge so if you're one of those individuals that's already got that deep level of self-belief if you go and make a statement and this is so shouting it's going to be even more powerful because you're introducing emotion into it then if you go and say something that is in your conscious mind is a, a conscious mind statement and you're adding emotion to it. And think of emotions. Emotions are a fuel source. So basically, emotions are a fuel source that, that, that drive energy. Uh, so you're, you're making a conscious mind statement. You're adding fuel to it. And if that aligns, if that's congruous with what the subconscious mind thinks, basically what you've just done is you've just lined up all of those systems together and you're going you're gonna to experience an increase in strength. If you, if you don't believe in yourself, so this is what you were just saying about, you know, those athletes or some, you could see the ones that it wasn't going to work on. I could see the ones that, you know, you can, and you can see the reaction. You can see the self-belief all of a sudden. It's like that subconscious just comes out. Um, and, and the ones who don't believe it, they don't have that level of self-belief. You're making them shout out something that is incongruous with their, with their, what their deep subconscious mind believes. Um, and that creates a disconnect. So then, you know, you may even experience a, a decrease in strength. So, you know, look, I would say it's something that you want to just try out in training first. Don't just try it out for the first time on, you know, on game day or mm-hmm. comp day. Um, and just make sure that if it works for you, then fantastic. You know, for me, as an athlete, I don't care if, it, if I wouldn't have cared if it, if it was something that would have seemed embarrassing. If it was going to make me run faster or jump higher, then I'm in. Great. Um, but, yeah, so that, that's basically how it works. You're aligning up. You're aligning up the conscious mind, adding a fuel source, which is emotion, 
and then you're you're aligning that with your subconscious mind and so you put all of that together and you're going to experience an output um at the level of the musculature which and that, and that's awesome yeah it was not not too long after that i remember i was i was reading the book uh legacy by james kerr talking about the all blacks and with the haka and mm. stuff like that and yeah. that's i mean that stuff like you know it makes your uh you know before it got too too super trendy and it's still powerful but that stuff makes your hair stand on end like it's there's it does there's, <laughs> it does look and that's a talking point in this country because we have a very strong rivalry with the new zealand all blacks and mm. their haka i i love the haka i think the haka is amazing and, I, and it's a one it's an incredible thing um but it's an unfair advantage you, and you basically the, the the opposition teams need to just stand face to face and have this other team go through a, a war cry and a war dance and they can scream and pump themselves up um, whilst inflicting psychological damage onto, onto their rivals and you know the code of conduct states in that game that the, the opposition team is not allowed to do anything so they've just got to take these psychological <laughs> body blows uh, and then go and and then go and start the match. Um, yes, <laughs> exactly. So, so and uh, on the, uh, as a, a real world example of that, I don't know uh, for the for the probably the small percentage of people that follow rugby in 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 that country in in America, uh, in the recent Rugby World Cup, England absolutely smashed the the, the All Blacks in the semi final, and so England um, formed a wedge. They sort of formed a wedge and almost and and walked forward and kind of surrounded. They, they walked to try and surround the All Blacks and the, the referees were trying to stop them. And the England players, you could see them just were sitting there you know, basically, you know, get lost. The referee, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, you're not refereeing the game yet. Game hasn't started. And they, 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 it was silent, but it was really strong and really powerful. And for those guys, you know, that was them sort of, you know, that was their psychological moment of, of, I guess, you know, pushing back against that, yeah. um, that war cry, which brings a lot of teams undone. Um, and, and that was, that was beautiful to watch. Yeah, I'll try to, you know, I'm going to try to find that on YouTube and I'll make sure I put it in the show notes. Cause I, I, that stuff just is, uh, that stuff is awesome. And I think, uh, yeah. it is unfair. Yeah. Someone gets to like, yeah, basically yell and dance at you and, yep. and try to intimidate you. You can't do anything or, you know, uh, unless you, and it's kind of like they t- kind of trademarked it in, so, you know, an unofficial way. I mean, it'd be kind of, yep. you know, to do it back would be kind of like, there's, it's just, yeah, I, I definitely get it. Um, <laughs> I'll try to put that in the show notes. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I do. I, maybe if we have time, I'd like to talk about one more thing. Uh, and that's um, learning. So are there some ways, like if we're, whether it be, I mean, everything's a skill, right? Strength, yep. shooting a basketball, jumping over a high jump bar, any of these things. Uh, what what are some ways that we can improve the ability of our brain to learn? Uh, and then particularly on that physical skill level. Yeah. So um, let's talk about it in the context of movement. Um, so basically, let's actually let's let's. I'm gonna I'm gonna back up. Let's let's strip back a level. So the way our bodies work. So the brain is a small organ. It's it's roughly two percent of your total of your total body mass. Okay. Uh, and it has it exerts a huge metabolic demand over the body. So it, it exerts a metabolic demand of around about twenty percent. And that's just when you're at, that's just in the course of normal operating. So normal driving. Um, you, you, it's demanding about 20% of the total um, metabolic demand of the body. Um, so you've got this tiny little organ which weighs less than you know less than 2% of the total and it's demanding more than 20% of, of, of the total energy to keep the body alive. Now, the way the brain is, has evolved um, is basically to try and increase your chances of survival. So its number one priority is always survival. It'll do everything it possibly can to keep you alive, including 
shut itself down. So it will try and do it will try and just run on automated programs and just habitual programming um, because it knows that if it just runs these programs, it costs a lot less energy. So it needs oxygen and glucose. It needs oxygen, glucose, and activation to survive. So as long as things are activating, then it's the use it or lose it concept. And if it gets enough oxygen and enough glucose, it can function. And because it's demanding so much energy, it, it knows that if it runs out of food, if, if it runs, if, if you're not able to find food soon enough, then the organism could die. Now we, you know, we, I'm always saying to people, we didn't evolve with, you know, with a supermarket across the road. We didn't evolve with, you know, with, with a ready, a ready available food supply you know, across the road or down or down the street. You know, we used to have to go out and hunt and gather to try and get food. So if you were not, if, if, you, if your brain was going to pay attention, if it was going to sort of, you know, calculate and compute things, uh, and, and as soon as it starts to calculate, compute and pay attention, um, the energy cost goes up enormously. So it starts to burn more energy. And this tiny little organ, which is demanding a huge amount of, of, of energy already, if it increases its energy demands, then the amount of time that it has available um, to survive before it runs out of fuel and, and, and dies comes down. So it knows that it can increase its survival chances um, if it just goes on to automated or habitual programming. It's basically if it just switches off. So it, it knows that it increases its survival chances by switching off. So we've got this really powerful drive um, deep down in, in our psyche or deep down in, even in the in the Neuro, in a neurophysiology um, to drive us to not pay attention, just to run this, this to run on, on habitual programming. And that habitual programming is something that we build in over the course of our lifetime. Um, and it's usually by around about age 30, that's kind of pretty, com- pretty complete. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got this habitual program. So when we talk about trying to learn new things, the way we learn is by paying attention. Okay. If you can get your brain to really pay attention to something, um, it can start, it, it can start to learn. And you'll see this again as a coach in the context of movement, you'll see this with athletes. When that brain starts to run out of oxygen or starts to get low on glucose, it's going to start to experience that drive to switch off. And you'll see, you'll see your athletes lose attention. All of a sudden, they'll find something in their peripheral vision just looks really interesting and they need to look away for inexplicably or they just, you'll see that their, their gaze drifts away because um, their brain's telling them that their survival chances are going to be increased if they switch off. So the way that we, if you can drive focused attention towards movement, then you increase the learning, the learning capabilities. Now, it's very difficult to drive focused attention into movement if you just give the brain a habituated movement pattern. So if you give the brain a squat and that, and you're trying to correct the squat and the brain's done the squat 10,000 times previously and it's already got a program for it, you can try and pay attention to it, but the brain is going to be is is going to be sending these messages saying we've got a program for this. I already know how to do this. You know, I already know how to do this, and just you know, let's just run the program. So it's very difficult. It becomes more difficult to um, to, to to learn and to make changes when you just give a, a habituated stimulus or a familiar stimulus. So if you can give novel stimuli, um, so even with something that's already familiar, like a squat pattern, if that athlete's already done, already performed, that's that that squat pattern tens of thousands of times, um, you could change their footwear. You could change the surface on which they're doing it. You could change the loading. You could give it an uneven loading. You could add bands that are pulling that pulling the athlete or pulling the, the individual in certain different ways or just exerting different vectors of force on the individual and forcing the nervous system to figure it out, force the nervous system to pay attention to the, to the sensory feedback that it's, that it's getting. 
And when that brain's paying attention, then all of a sudden you can start introducing different cues. You can introduce the different coaching cues that you want and you'll start to get a different, you'll start to get a, an, an improved response. Uh, and, and essentially then what you're doing is you're driving neuroplastic change. You're driving, neuro, you're, 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 you're increasing um, the connectedness around that circuit, those, those neural circuits that relate to that particular movement. Uh, and to do that, we need, we need a few things. But the number one thing is, is attention. And if you can drive that attention, um, then you're going to get the brain paying attention to the sensory feedback and you're going to increase your chances of forming new synaptic connections around that, that particular movement. It seems when it's novel, uh, that Mm. attention comes on like multiple levels in the sense of a thought. I was just having this thought today of, uh, warming up track sprinters with a typically a warm up might be they run over like little mini hurdles about four inches high spaced, maybe six mm. feet apart and they use that as a warm-up for their stride but uh warm-up what i was like well and i've done similar stuff to this in the past but what if you had those little hurdles at, at very random intervals for the warm-up mm. like it's something that you have to be extremely focused because each one is not like the next and mm. I've, I've heard of coaches doing um as i mentioned chris corfus for him and uh, another coach dan victor would like put little pieces of track between those hurdles as well to force something that's different that the body pays attention Mm. to differently but beautiful i was thinking like if you if you did these hurdles in a little subtly different patterns before the main workout like like you were just saying now you have better attention like now there's the tension and now the body at that point then the body would be more receptive to uh technical attention cueing awareness and all that type of thing Something that I and look, I think that's fantastic. I think it's a challenge for any coach if you're going to try, if you're actually going to pay attention as a coach to this sort of stuff. The challenge then becomes you're trying to in, you're trying to add more novel stimuli uh, into your athletes' training programs and into their training regime, which makes it more difficult to program because you're as the coach, you, basically what that that method that approach to it is telling you that you need to do different things and do different things nearly every single time. Um, that makes it, it's a lot easier just to program for repetition. It's a lot easier to just to say you're going to do three sets of 10 of this, three sets of 10 of that. You, you know, you're going to do X, Y, and Z uh, exercises and you'll do those five times a week. And that, that's really easy to program for. To then throw in all of these different variables that are going to drive this change for us, that's, that's a lot of extra work, a lot of extra thinking. So something that I do a lot with people, and this is, again, this is all levels because it's, it's, it's relevant and valid for everyone, um, is what you want to basically what you need to drive neuroplastic changes and we've got two different types of two different types of neuroplasticity you've got adaptive neuroplasticity which is good and maladaptive neuroplasticity which is bad maladaptive neuroplasticity is what you're going to experience as a result of an injury so that's essentially we're talking about you know compensa- compensation and whatnot um but adaptive neuroplasticity is what we're going to experience when we're improving function and we're you know when we're on the way up and what you need for that is, is, is three key things. And so if you're a coach, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely write this down. Even if you're an individual, I'd write this down. You need attention, you need urgency, and you need a, a certain degree of alertness. So I, when I was competing um, in Taekwondo, and again, I didn't really know what I didn't really, I couldn't have explained the difference in what this was doing, but I spent some time at the High Performance Center in Spain. I spent a year training over there with those guys, and that was the, the Spain was number two in the world back then. And they were uh, it, it's the, the the High Performance Center there in Barcelona was kind of the, the the world mecca of Taekwondo, and that was the place that everybody wanted to be at. 
what we used to do all the time, we'd play, we'd play these different games. We'd play, you know, dodgeball or we'd play, you know, uh, like bull rush kind of game or we'd play football or something just as a warm-up. Um, and so what you're driving is you're driving attention to, you know, to an unfamiliar or, you know, an unfamiliar game. You are driving this level of alertness because you, you know, you want to win. There's, you know, it was a, it was a fun little warm up game that we that we play, but there was a really high level of alertness. And you, and there's a consequence. You're playing for points, and everybody there is is highly is highly competitive. So there's a degree of urgency. So we played these warm up games for five minutes, ten minutes, and then when the coach is then going to try and give us new technical drills, everybody's really switched on, paying attention. Everybody's systems are in a. Everybody's nervous system was in a state where forming new synaptic connections uh, was made more easy by the by the warm up drills that we've been doing because our nervous systems were in such a, a, a state that they were ready to release increased amounts of acetylcholine um, and dopamine, which you kind of need to, to form these new synaptic connections. So it makes that process much easier for the body to, um, to, to elicit. And, um, and, and then performance improves because you're learning at a faster rate. So I kind of do that with the people that I work with. Um, I'll have just these little... These, uh, it can be any kind of game that you want, but there needs to be a consequence to it because and it could, that could be a score, it could be a penalty, um, it could be any kind of little consequence, but something that's going to drive urgency. Um, there needs to be that level of alertness and it kind of needs to be a bit different because if you play the same game over and over again, you know, if, if you're a football player, then just doing a little football game warm-up, whilst that's good, you're not going to place the same degree of attention on that little warm-up game as if you went and played soccer. That would be that would be a very different thing. You need to you need to concentrate on that because they're different skills. So anything that you can do that drives those three things: attention, urgency, and alertness, is going to make that body more receptive and more able to change itself in neuroplastic ways. Uh, and then you're going to find that the athletes can start to upgrade their circuitry. They're going to be able to develop more neural connections around the movements that you want, which basically means that they're going to have a greater level of movement variability, and they're going to be able to there'll be a better chance of finding. The, the optimal movement strategy that you're looking to try and give them. Um, so, uh, so for me, that's something that I'm doing. I do all the time when I'm trying to introduce a, a new skill or a new movement um, to anybody, or if I'm teaching them, we'll be doing something along those lines for at least a couple of minutes beforehand. Oh, that's fantastic. I, that's something that I, um, just, uh, yesterday I had a group of, and I've been thinking about this really for the last several months after I had a guest Rafe Kelly, who's a natural movement and parkour teacher, up in I love Rafe's work. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, and so ever since talking to him, I'm like, yes, my athletes need to be at a particular emotional state uh, before we really do work. Otherwise, what are we really, you know, we're, we're, we're suboptimal, you know, and so... I, I like that you put those words, attention, urgency, and alertness on it, uh, yep. and and it makes all the sense in the world. I just yeah, just yesterday I was um, we we played a modified because we do keep away sometimes. Like guys will come in and we'll play they'll play a little keep away type game with the tennis ball before mm. they get started. And this I don't know I just decided well let's play with the volleyball this time. You know like it's just yeah. let's just make those little changes to try to get them uh, in that state where now we're ready to train and we're at a heightened level and i also think too about even like you said uh, a person who's not uh, paying attention like you, you call the group in and the athletes are looking at you but there's always that one person who's kind of staring off in the space right <laughs> yes, <laughs> <It's>, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's almost like you you really that's uh, that's such a huge thing to look at and 
Yeah, I just I, I one one I, I did have a quick follow up. If you're doing like a one on one for people who might be doing one on ones out there, it's mm. easy with groups you play games, right? Like I used to do play ultimate frisbee with my track team for twenty minutes before yep. we do yep. our sprint stuff. And but if it's one on one, if you have a one on one client, what do you what any tips or ideas there? Yeah, look, there's all kinds of different things. Um, so again, some of the games that we used to play back in when I was doing taekwondo in in, in Spain and whatnot, um, and I've I've integrated those i've got a bunch of different things that i do with, with balls and with sticks and all kinds of different things um one of the ones that i've always liked and enjoyed i call so chest touches or, or knee touches chest touches are not so good with female athletes so i tend to go for knee touches um but it's 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 basically just the agility and reaction games so imagine if you and i are playing a game we square off against each other and if i can tag you on the chest if i can touch your chest i score a point and maybe that costs you one burpee or maybe that costs you a push-up you know, I've got a couple of guys that do boxing, and that'll you know that that that'll cost them a punch in the ribs, <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah, from from the other guy that they that they've lost against. But again, it, it it requires speed and agility and reactions. They have to concentrate on it, and there's that there's there's urgency. They they have that level of alertness, and they just have to pay attention to it. You can do the same thing with just touching the knees. So same thing if you if I can touch if I can touch your knees, I score a point. Just you know, with a fingertip, I score a point. If you can touch my knee, you score a point. Um, a couple of minutes of that and you know you're well and truly warmed up and the system's highly alert and you've you've set the chemical environment within the brain that's going to facilitate um the forming of new neural connections and and that's beautiful oh i love it i i actually that game i i was um doing a a dry land session for a group of swimmers and we happened to be in a big wrestling room and i Mm. had been doing a lot of the typical stuff and i just i i i was in the locker room using the bathroom before we started and i saw some um some wrestlers in there some like real high level wrestlers and i was like hey Mm. is there any um is there any like game that like wrestling type game that's really safe that we could do he's like he said basically just that you have to touch the other person's knee and so Mm. i took it too far being me we had a huge tournament of doing that (laughs) and 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 i told them no diving either but of course some guys took that too far but it was it was a blast and people they definitely got tired and but it was awesome i mean the attention the focus the fun like laughing it was it was off the charts so using something like that for warm-up would be absolutely i mean that stuff is is awesome and yeah ray for like a lot of his roughhousing type stuff i i'm trying to learn more about that i i think it's all just takes us to such a good place before we get started with our work yeah and i think the stuff that rafe's doing is amazing i think he's 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 really onto some stuff all the the games that they play like we it's exactly the way we just explained it you know we can put a science we can put a scientific or a neuroscientific explanation to it and then we sort of come back to Wow, these look these fun games and this social engagement and you know the, and the smiles and the happy emotions and everything. It's it's setting the stage for for optimal performance and it's setting the stage for us to you know to basically uh, improve the brain and the nervous system in exactly the ways that science is saying that we should. Um, you know, and so there's yeah there's people out there I guess like Rafe and and others um, who are really getting it right. And and if you you know introducing happy emotions, introducing that social engagement where you're drawing on the energy of, of others, and it's, it's all that same stuff we talked about earlier with contact, um, you know, and then you know you're driving that attention, alertness, and urgency, and you're, you're making the nervous system receptive to change rather than just that nervous system just wanting to lock itself into that habituated pattern that it's already got, you know, it's it's already got programmed. Um, yeah, you, th- for me, that's that's the smart way to go, you know, and, and again, as as an athlete. 
I was always all about, you know, look, work, work hard, but you've got to work smart. You know, I'm all up for hard work, but it's got to be intelligent. I don't want to just bash my head against the wall and, and go nowhere. Um, you know, we're going to be a lot, we'll do a lot better if we, if, if we do hard work and, and we're intelligent about it. And that's, that's kind of, that, I, that's the same approach now that I have with all this neuro work. Um, and, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully anyone who's listening to this has managed to get a few takeaway points and, and get some benefit out of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I learned a ton, so I'm sure everyone listening will as well. Uh, how many? How can people find you or reach you, uh, Scott? On what internet, social media, whatever you're up to. Yeah. So look. So look. Instagram is probably the main channel that I'm on, and so I'm the brain guy on Instagram with two dots. So the dot brain dot guy, uh, and then the same handle, the same handle on Facebook. Um, so if you want to contact me or, or, or follow there, that's kind of where you'll see the bulk majority of the information that that I put out. Um, and yeah, so, and I guess the things that I'm up to is I, I do, uh, I, I work with another company, um, called integrated vitality retreats. And so we're basically taking people away and, uh, either healing or just optimizing, uh, at these, at these retreats. So they've sort of said, if anyone wants to, um, get involved and have a look at one of those retreats, we're doing one in Bali in, uh, in, in, in about a month's time, which, which will be amazing. And so that will be removing a huge amount of limiting beliefs for people. So, uh, aligning that subconscious mind like we talked about align the subconscious mind with the conscious drive uh and then you just you'll see the the output increase in the nervous system and certainly you'll see the flow and, and the way things unfold in in life after that so that's kind of recommendable for just about anybody who's um uh who's looking to improve themselves um and they've sort of said because they i think the early bird special for that one ends uh ends today the day we're recording it but they've said they'll they'll extend that for anyone who says that they've listened to this podcast um, then that one will go through for another week. All right. Well, fantastic, Scott. That sounds amazing. Um, thank you again for being on the show and I really appreciate it all. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I, I, uh, I hope yourself and anybody who's listening managed to get some, some real benefit out of it. Thanks for tuning in for another show. We appreciate your listenership. If you enjoy what you're hearing, you can support us by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating and review. would absolutely appreciate that. Also important, visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. They have a great blog and the best of in many categories of training and performance, such as the FreeLab Timing System, Gym Aware and Flex Unit, K-Box, muscle stimulators, contact grids, force plates. I could go on. Uh, great company, and we are happy to have their support. All right, that does it for this week. We'll see you guys next week with another great guest.